ocean, video games, comic books, theme parks. Today, I will walk you down the hall of superheroes, introduce you to some of the heroes whose stories ended in Garner and a reemergence. Thank you. So make yourself comfortable. Take off your mask, wash your hands, douse your body in sanitizer, and we will begin our tour. In the 90s, there were plenty of new characters that were introduced, and many new companies that appeared out of obscurity. Down this hall, come now, walk this way. Come, come, here's our first specimen. This purple fellow, they called him The Max. The Max is an American comic book series created by Sam Keith in 1993, and originally published monthly until 1998 by Image Comics for 35 issues before being collected in trade paperback by DC Comics' Wildstorm imprint. However, the first appearance of the character was in Primer No. 5 in 1983, published by Tomico Comics. The comic book starring in Purple Hero spawned a 13-episode animated series on MTV that originally aired from April to June 1995, starting in November 2013 and ending in September 2016. The original series had been republished by IDW as The Max Maximized, with new colors and improved scans of the original artwork by Sam Keith and Jim Sinclair. In 2018, The Max featured a five-issue crossover series with Batman, published by IDW. The series follows the adventures of the titular hero in two worlds, the real world and an alternate reality, referred to as the Outback, presumably named metaphorically after the real Australian Outback. In the real world, Max is a vagrant, a homeless man living in a box, while in the Outback, he is a powerful protector of the Jungle Queen, who exists in the real world as Julie Winters, a freelance social worker who often bails Max out of jail. While Max is aware of the Outback, Julie is not, though is integral to of both of their stories. I don't want to reveal the entire story, as it's well worth reading. Continuing on down, here, on your left, there's a picture of the Valiant Comics logo. Now, Valiant Comics is an American publisher of comic books and related media. The company was founded in 1989 by a former Marvel Comics editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter, along with lawyer and businessman Stephen Moraski. In 94, the company was sold to Acclaim Entertainment. After Acclaim declared bankruptcy in 2004, the company was restarted as part of Valiant Entertainment by entrepreneurs Dinesh and Jason in 2005. Here at the Institute, we have both Dinesh and Jason's mask, I mean face, hanging here on the wall. So you could get a good look at who they are and where they got the money. It's right here. Now, Valiant Entertainment launched its publishing division in 2012 as part of an initiative dubbed the Summer of Valiant. Winning Publisher of the Year is being nominated for the Book of the Year at the Diamond Gem Awards. Valiant has set sales records and was the most nominated publisher in comics in 2014, 15, and 16. 
the Harvey Awards, releasing the biggest selling independent crossover event of the decade with Book of Death in 2015. Valiant was acquired by DMG Entertainment in 2018. In 2015, Valiant announced that they had partnered with Sony Pictures to produce five films based on the Bloodshot Harbinger comic books. The rights for Harbinger would later be acquired from Sony by Paramount in 2019. In 1991, Valiant released his first title, Magnus Robot Fighter. A cover dated May of 1991, and Solar Man of the Atom, cover dated September 1991, followed as the next release. Rai became the third title published by Valiant and was distributed as a special insert in Magnus Robot Fighter, beginning with issue number five. Harbinger number one was listed on the top ten list of Wizard Magazine for a record of eight consecutive months. It was eventually named Collectible of the Decade. Alright, number zero, appeared on Wizards' top ten list for a new record nine consecutive months. In 1992, Valiant won the best publisher under 5% market share for comic distributor Diamond. The next year, Valiant won best publisher over 5% market share, becoming the first publisher outside of Marvel and DC to do so. In 1992, Valiant's editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter, was given the Lifetime Achievement Award for co-creating the Valiant Universe in a ceremony that also honored Stan Lee for co-creating the Marvel Universe. However, Shooter left Valiant by the end of 92. According to Masarski, Jim had a different idea as the direction of the company, and he was asked to leave. Valiant also engaged in several comic book marketing innovations common in the 1990s, such as Issue Zero Origin Issues, the Gold Logo Program, coupons redeemable for original comic books, and Chromium covers. Following the conclusion of the Unity crossover in September 1992, Valiant released Bloodshot, Ninjak, Hard Corpse, The Second Life of Dr. Mirage, and Time Walker, among other titles. Valiant Comics isn't alone. Across the hall from it is Dark Horse Comics. You see it on the wall. See, now, Dark Horse Comics is an American comic book and manga publisher. It was founded in 1986 by Mike Richardson in Milwaukee, Oregon. Richardson started out by opening his first comic book store, Pegasus Books in Bend, Oregon, in 1980. From there, he was able to use the funds from his retail operation to start his own publishing company, Dark Horse Presents and Boris the Bear were the two initial titles in 1986. Within the first year of its publication, Dark Horse Comics added nine new titles to its roster, including Hellboy, The American, The Mask, Tracker, and Black Cross. Frank Miller's Sin City is one of the most famous works associated with Dark Horse and it has become something of a signature comic for the publishing house. 
They've also established a reputation for publishing licensed works such as Alien, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Conan, and Star Wars. Dark Horse has published many licensed comics, including comics based on Star Wars, Avatar the Last Airbender, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Aliens, Predator, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Conan, and Who Wants to Be a Superhero? I know I do. Dark Horse has also published creator-owned comics such as Frank Miller's Sin City and 300, Hellboy, Yosaki Ojimbo, um, and Umbrella Academy, Overwatch, and The Escapist. Today, the comics arm of the company flourishes despite no longer having its own universe of superpowered characters. Dark Horse also published the English translation of The Legend of Zelda Hyrule Historia in 2013. Like Dell and Cold Key, Dark Horse was one of the few major American publishers of comic books never to display the Comics Code Authority seal on its covers. In 2006, the New York Times reported that Dark Horse pays by the story or the page and shares profit generated by comic books and related merchandise. That is different from the standard work-for-hire arrangement that DC and Marvel have. Creators are paid for a specific story and perhaps receive royalties from collected editions, but the bulk of the revenue and all of the merchandising opportunities remain with the companies. As you can see, many interesting things came out of the 90s. Now, just because we had two publishers that rose out of the ashes doesn't mean we don't see the big companies. Marvel and DC try to create some new characters. They would release in what's called a one-shot. These would be released with packaged comics or with special release or even with magazines such as Wizard or Toy Fair. I'm going to talk about a handful of characters that I enjoyed reading that all debuted in the 90s. First of all, did you know that Carnage came out of the 90s? It was first introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number 344 in 1991 and, and as Amazing Spider-Man in number 361 in 1992. Character is about Cletus Cassidy. He began his comic book life as a monstrous serial slayer who had been taking lives since his childhood and wouldn't ex that wasn't extreme enough, so his origin was later updated to include him perishing as a, ch as a child, only to be resurrected by an ancient god. While in prison, he meets Eddie Brock, who recently lost the Venom symbiote, after disgusting Brock and receiving several beatings from him, he de decides to shiv the former journalist, but it is stopped by the return of the symbiote. As Venom, Brock leads a jailbreak, but he leaves behind the child his symbiote was pregnant with. When the entity enters Cassidy's bloodstream, it grants him even more extreme powers 
and the two became carnage. Did you know that Cable came out of the 1990s? He was first introduced in the Uncanny X-Men in number 201 in 1986, appearing as Nathan Summers. The New Mutants in number 87 in 1990 as Cable. Cable's origin is full of time travel and alternate realities, making him the living embodiment of 90s comic book tropes. The villainous Mr. Sinister hopes to defeat Apocalypse, so he clones Jean Grey, who is currently the Phoenix, and orchestrates the marriage of her clone, Madeline Pryor, to Scott Summers. They have a child named Nathan who grows up fighting in a future ruled by Apocalypse. Aside from this, his dystopian upbringing, he also spends much of his life battling a techno-organic virus that is slowly turning him into a cyborg. Now this one's my favorite. The second incarnation of Ghost Rider as Danny Ketch in 1990 is first introduced in Ghost Rider number one, 1990. While Johnny Blaze had much more 70s-centric origin when Ghost Rider debuted as a character, Marvel created a new host for the Spirit of Vengeance at the dawn of the 90s when young Danny Ketch and his sister go into a graveyard on Halloween night to take pictures of Harry Houdini's tombstone. They encounter a clash between Death Watch and some of Kingpin's men. When Danny's sister cries out, Death Watch fires at her hitting her with an arrow. Danny run, runs to a junkyard with his sister, where he sees a motorcycle with a glowing gas cap. When he touches it, he's turned into the new Ghost Rider and takes extreme vengeance on the evildoers. And now it's time for everyone's favorite, Deadpool, 1991. He was first introduced in the New Mutants, number 98, in 1991. Wade Wilson was a disfigured mercenary with the superhuman ability of an accelerated healing factor and agility. He was hired by Tolliver to attack Cable in the New Mutants. He had continued to appear in several X-Men and Marvel Comics titles until he got his own miniseries in 1994. Next, we have Darkhawk in 1991. He appeared in Darkhawk number one, 1991, making his first appearance. The son of a DA and a cop, Chris Powell, is visiting an abandoned amusement park with his brothers when he spies his father taking money from the mob. He then discovers a magical amulet that transforms him into Darkhawk, and his father's disappearance spurs him to become a vigilante. As you can see, there's a lot of popular characters that made their first appearance in the 1990s. I'll give you a couple others that were what I would call honorable mentions. Night Thrasher, Night Stalkers, Onslaught, Maggot, Random, Sleepwalker, and Slapstick. DC Comics had their share of bizarre characters that came out of the 90s. First, Superboy, one of the most popular DC heroes to come out of the 90s. Connor Kent has gotten a raw deal in recent years. After a decent run in his solo series, 
as stirring roles in both Young Justice and Teen Titans. He was pretty much written out of continuity during DC's new 52 reboot. Instead, a new super clone emerged boasting an unnecessarily convoluted backstory that failed to resonate with readers. Now, with Superboy's son, John Kent, occupying the role of Superboy, it's unlikely Connor will return under that moniker. DC's Rebirth presents all sorts of continuity-based conundrums, such as this one, but the return of Connor Kent is perhaps the biggest hurdle. For a time, it seemed DC wanted us to forget all about Connor and his sacrifice during Infinite Crisis. But with much of DC's classic history restored, the good news is forgetting Connor might just be impossible. Next, we have Extreme Justice. In 1995, DC's comics spun off Extreme Justice from Justice League America as a proactive team of leaguers who decided to meet out of their brand of justice after becoming disillusioned with their association with the United Nations. After the leadership of Captain Adam, Extreme Justice was considered a dangerous collection of loose cannons whose flagrant disregard for international laws and borders eventually resulted in a botched invasion of Bailea and a massacre of an entire volunteer army. The UN decided to disband not only Extreme Justice, but the core team in a spit other spin-off group, Justice League Task Force. Thankfully, this resulted in a more streamlined version of the team in Grant Morrison's JLA, which returned the League to its former glory. Fittingly, Extreme Justice became an embarrassing footnote of League history, best left forgotten. While we're on the topic of crazy teams, here's Rebels, revolutionary elite brigade to eliminate Legion. And the first debuted in 1994. Set in the present, the team was led by Vero Dox, a descendant of Brainiac, Brainiac 5 to be exact. We had originally formed Legion to combat the forces of the oppressive Citadel after Legion was taken over by his insane son, Docs, created rebels to regain command of the rogue intergalactic peacekeeping organization. Rebels and Legion are both intriguing books thanks to their connections to the 31st century based Legion of superheroes through characters like Docs, Faze, Strata, Larissa, Malor. Unfortunately, it's those same ties to the Legion that eventually relegated both teams to comic book limbo. Legion popped up for a time in the New 52, but its history was vague and didn't appear to be tied to the Legion, which was also largely absent from DC's reboot. I'll leave you with this last title. He was called the Heckler. The Heckler is one of the few characters on this list that I wish had never been forgotten. 
It was created by Keith Giffen and Tom and Mary Beerbaum. This madcap parody of superhero comics debuted in 1992 in the pages of his own limited series. By day, Delta City native Stuart Mosley runs a skid road diner called Eats. By night, he converts through the underworld, annoying the heck out of the criminal underworld with wild abandon. His rogues gallery is almost as absurd as he himself, and boasts such delightfully strange villainous luminaries such as Boss Glitter and the Cosmic Clown. Although he always appeared on a grand total of nine actual comics, the heckler's striking appearance and laugh-out-loud dialogue makes us wonder how he could have never been sidelined to the forgotten corners of the DC universe. Now, I previously talked about Deadpool, and he's got a huge popularity. But the one character that came out of the 90s that a lot of people don't realize is Spawn. Spawn is an anti-hero, appearing in a monthly comic book of the same name published by Image Comics. He was created by Todd McFarlane. The character first appeared in Spawn number 1 in 1992. Spawn was ranked 60th on Wizards Magazine list of the top 200 comic book characters of all time, 50th on Empire Magazine's list of the 50 greatest comic book characters, and 36th on IGN's 2011 Top 100 Comic Book Heroes. The series had spun off several other comics, including Angela, Curse of the Spawn, Sam and Twitch, and the Japanese manga Shadows of Spawn. Spawn was adapted into a 1997 feature film portrayed by Michael Jai White, an HBO animated series lasting from 97 to 99, a series of action figures whose high level of detail made Todd McFarlane toys known in the toy industry, and a reboot film starring Jamie Foxx and Jeremy Renner. The character also appears in annual compilations, miniseries, specials, written by guest authors and artists, and numerous crossover storylines and other comic books. Todd McFarlane began drawing as a hobby in an early age and created the character Spawn when he was 16. He spent countless hours perfecting the appearance of each component of the character's visual design. Spawn enjoyed considerably uh, being popular upon its initial release in the 1990s. Comic book collecting was enjoying a marked upswing at the time, fueled by the speculator boom, looking for the next hot book that would jump in value after its release. McFarlane had enjoyed superstar status among comic fans with his work on Spider-Man, which had featured McFarlane's name prominently as both writer and artist. McFarlane's subsequent break from Marvel and the formation of Image Comics was seen by many as a sea change event, changing the very way in which comics were produced. Wizard, in May 2008, rated the launch of Image Comics as number one 
and the list of events that rocked the comic industry from 91 to 2008. The popularity of the franchise peaked in 1997, a Spawn feature film. The pre-release publicity for which helped make Spawn the top-selling comic book for May in 97. In addition, a spin-off, Curse of Spawn number 9, came in fifth best-selling for the same month. However, the film was only a mild commercial success and failed to start a film franchise based on the character. The 2008 issue Spawn number 174 ranked 99th best-selling comic for the month with retail orders of 22,667. In October 2008, issue 185, which marked both new creative direction and Todd McFarlane's return to the book, sold out the distribution level and received a second printing by issue number 191 in May of 2009, with estimated sales of 19,803. Spawn had dropped below the top 100 titles sold monthly to comic shops as reported by Diamond Comic Distributors. As of September 2010, Spawn was ranked at number 115 in the top 300 sales figures chart reported by Diamond. On the day of its release in 2011, issue 200 sold out. The issue featured work by Greg Capullo, David Finch, and Michael Golden, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, Danny Milkey, and Ashley Wood. A second printing was released the next month, and it received a negative review from IGN. Spawn began a resurgence in popularity as the title approached its 300th issue, with the title once again becoming a fixture in Diamond's Top 100. This 300th issue also made Spawn the longest-running independent comic book series of all time. I'll let you check out the original books, the movie and the cartoon that was also released. I highly recommend them. Actually, I more recommend the cartoon than the movie, but, you know, it's not the acting, it's the writing, and the directing, and the grips, and the best boy. You get the idea. Besides, it was the 90s, everything was freaking cheesy in the 90s, it was like the 80s part dude need to have something a little bit more uh, powerful so currently we're using cgi and everything i mean going back to the season finale of mandalorian how the hell do you make a 60 some year old guy look like he's 20 again it's a little odd but you know it's what people want to see as long as he's alive use him right as we continue down the hall i'm going to show you uh, star of the week and this is a character that I enjoy and for some reasons and I'm sure other people like this character for other reasons and there's some, some people that relate better to this type of character than you know something benign but I'll give you this character of the week is Harley Quinn. She first appeared in DC Comics to serve as a new supervillainess and a romantic interest for the Joker. Now, 
you watch the old animated series, you can definitely see that. That was all there. And the current show, HBO Max, not too sure if you could say that again, but, you know, I, I, they, they did something else with her. I'm not complaining, you know. Still, still a fan. So Harley Quinn is a frequent accomplice and lover of the Joker, who was her patient when she worked as an intern psychiatrist at Gotham City's Arkham Asylum. Her alias is a play on the name Harlequin, a character that originated in a long time ago. She has also teamed up with fellow villains, Poison Ivy and Catwoman, and the trio being known as the Gotham City Sirens. Ivy is often depicted as a close friend and romantic interest of Harley. See, now that's what I was telling you. So you go from Joker to Ivy. Not complaining, everyone likes a redhead. A redhead that likes plants. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, since the New 52 comics, she's been depicted as an anti-heroine and a reoccurring core member of the Suicide Squad. Now, have you seen that movie yet? It's, it's old, I know. Um, I know Birds of Prey was just released and the Suicide Squad 2 is just coming out. Now, I'm not sure if with these movies, if it's more attraction to the character or to the actress. I'm kind of thinking actress. But until she's on Pornhub, this is the closest thing we got. The character was originally voiced by Arlene Sorkin in the DC Animated Universe. She has since appeared in various other DC projects voiced by other actresses such as Tara Strong. I'm a huge fan of Tara Strong. If you, if you know anything about cartoons or movies, you, you have to know Tara Strong. She's freaking incredible. Hayden Walsh, Laura Bailey, Jenny Slate. Now, that's another one. She, she's incredible, too. There's all the things about Jenny Slate that I like, but moving on. Melissa Roush. Now, Melissa Roush, she, she was in that uh, sitcom that appeared for like a decade with all those nerd guys. I can't remember what the heck that was called. Um, oh, and here, Kaylee Coco. Or Kuko. I can never pronounce that last name. Some of these people, you know, Hollywood, you go to Hollywood to change your names so you can be recognized. Don't use your normal names, please. <laughs> So, in 1984, the graphic novel, The 
Batman Adventures Mad Lava. It recounts the character's origin story written and drawn by Dini and Tim. The comic book is told in the style and continuity of Batman animated series. Now, any other animated Batman show is crap. I, this is the best one. Go back to it. It describes Dr. Harleen Francis Quinzel, PhD, as an Arkham Asylum psychologist who falls in love with a Joker and becomes his accomplice and on-again, off-again girlfriend. The story received wide praise and won the Eisner and Harvey Awards for Best Single Issue Comic of the Year. The new Batman Adventure series adapted Mad Love as an episode of the same name in 1999. It was the second animated style comic book adapted for the series, with the other being Holiday Nights. Harleen Quinzel becomes fascinated with the Joker while working at Arkham and volunteers to help treat him. She falls hopelessly in love with the Joker during her sessions with him, and she helps him escape from the asylum more than once. When Batman returns a severely injured Joker to Arkham, she dons a jester costume to become Harley Quinn, the Joker's sidekick. The Joker frequently insults and ignores, hurts, and even tries to kill her, but she always comes back to him convinced he genuinely loves her. You know, that's actually kind of sad when you think about it. When you when you fall head over heels for somebody for some weird reason and you want acceptance. You want to make sure that person will do what you have in your head that person's going to do. But after a long time, you can't grow on somebody. If they don't like you at first, I mean, we all like love at first sight, but if it's not reciprocated, it's going to be hard. So that's where I am with that. Uh, I don't know what a person like Harley Quinn last in today's world, or is she destined for fiction? I think she could actually operate in today's world. So could the Joker. Um, why do I say that? Well, after recently viewing the 2019 ver movie of Joker with uh, Joaquin, it makes a character like that a... Uh, more of an accepted type of person where you have to have someone because he, people are typically weak they're weak minded they're, they're weak uh, physically mentally emotionally uh, and all they all they want is a leader because as the old trope is, we're all sheep. We are all sheep. You tell us to go left, we'll go left. You tell us to go right, we'll go right. Those that fight those are the ones that get in trouble. Well, they're on their own accord because they're not following any kind of rules or guidelines or laws or anything. And that, that's a sheep that would fall off the cliff. <laughs> 
and not listen to the the shepherd dog trying to keep him in line so yeah that there should be a joker in reality and not just in fiction I know they they tried um, doing that in our world with these um, riots and protests that we've had over the last uh, handful of months, but uh, there's no organization. It, it's like uh, it's like taking a bunch of roaches and dumping them into a aquarium every one of those roaches goes in an opposite direction just scatters now if you put something in the in the middle of that aquarium like a food source they all go to the food source because that's the one commonality that they have but you need to have something for these to guide the people. You just do. So whether you have uh, a lunatic like Joker and Harley, or you have someone with fortitude and, and stature like, say, Captain America or Batman, Superman. You know, a, a, a Spider-Man, a hero, someone that people can look up to, not just the inevitable, such as characters like Joker. But I think that what people are always looking for is they're looking for the next thing. So here at the Institute, I don't want to create the next Joker. I don't want to create the next Punisher. I don't want to create the next Deadshot. I don't want to create the next Lobo. I don't want to create the next uh, Winter Soldier. I don't want to create any reluctant heroes. But I do want to create and instill in all your minds that you have the power to be your own leader. That you can beat to the beat of a... You, know, you can move to a beat of a different drum, is what I'm trying to say. That you, you are able to Find your, your path and go down your path. See, my, my pastime is comics. That's why I took you down this hallway to introduce you to a bunch of stuff from the 90s, which is during my formative years. Uh, looking to see what's out there for everybody in today's society. It, it, we, there needs to be cohesiveness, there needs to be clarity, there needs to be transparency, there needs to be strong leaders, and I know they're out there, 
I'm hoping they're listening to my my podcast here. I hope they walk into the institute with open ears and say, "Yeah, teach me something." I will teach you. I, I will. I will give you not just pop culture, but as I'm doing now, a reality check. So, I wanted to touch on another character that I I enjoyed from over the years, but seems seems I'm not going to right now because it seems kind of shallow to bring up a another DC Comics character. It came from the Vertigo imprint. First appearing with Sandman. And eventually got her own book. Her name's Death. I got into Death. I liked Death. Death was a good book. Um, Maybe I will touch on it a little bit here. Uh, Death is like... The character's goth. And in the 90s, <laughs> the 90s was like goth central. Uh, I, I got really huge into that scene back in the late 90s. But I was a reluctant goth. I was kind of like a rockabilly goth. Uh, I, want, I didn't really, I, I didn't don too much of the, the black per se, but I, it was more rockabilly. And I, I kind of like the romantic side of it. I mean, because in the '90s, vampires were really huge, just like how today they got the big thing is zombies. You know, back then it was all about romanticism. It was like steampunk. It was, you know, another form of goth, but it was, you know, Victorian. It was romantic. It was beauty. It was. You know, corsets. When women would wear those corsets. I friggin' swear. I squirmed. I, 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 I loved it. Me, me when I, when I, I would put on the, uh, the giant platform boots. Kind of cyberpunk, which is another form of goth. Uh, and, uh, put on the, Leather pants, yeah, I did have leather pants. I wore those when I went out clubbing before I started DJing. It, those were the days. Those were those were interesting times. Uh, now, I'll tell you, as you get old, yeah, you can still cosplay. <laughs> but to see an old man like myself, with his Gandalf beard. You can't really don goth too much anymore. You look out of place. You still do rockabilly, though. So I guess that style transcends. It's kind of uh, kind of punk, but not. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure you can look it up. I don't have any examples to show you right now. 
maybe next week we touch on that a little bit more. I don't want to hear me lament. So, yeah, death, definitely death. Because in the Sandman books, you always had, um, you always had different characters that were not your, your run-of-the-mill superhero. Because there was nothing about superheroes. It was kind of like, I guess you could say Watchmen. Maybe. But, um, where they kind of like were in the background where the book really didn't revolve around them, but they were there. That you, you knew that they were there. And they were always um, watching and adjusting the story to, to fit their needs. Their, their, I mean, because you did have an underlying plot. You always had an underlying plot, but it was just... It was just not like anything you've, you would read before, the way that they would be intertwined. Um, now, character of death was interesting because uh, not only is she, I mean, death, what are you gonna, you're not gonna be dressed up like Rainbow Bright. So you, you'll, she has that dark hair, the, the pasty skin, the dark clothing, for some reason, she always carried a worn ankh, an Egyptian ankh, around her neck. I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess it's a cross, but they didn't want the character to be confined to one type of faith, because all religions, uh, whether they were born out of, uh, well, I don't, here we go into talking about esoteric religion. Uh, you have a, when you create a religion, the purpose of religion is to, for uh, control, power, uh, to, to be a leader in the, in the church a preacher, a reverend, a bishop, a deacon, uh, a pope, uh, whatever your rank is, minister, uh, pastor, there's so many different titles that, you, that they have, uh, but you, they're all leaders, the leaders of the church, the leaders of the church, the leaders of the diocese, now, the leaders of the diocese, you're a shepherd, and you have your sheep. Go to a sermon, I don't care what religion, and they will talk about a flock, and they'll talk about a shepherd. You're either a leader or you're a follower. Is this interesting how this whole conversation just goes in a full circle right here? Big full circle. It's all about control. Do you want to be the controller or do you want to be the one that's controlled? I'd rather be the fringe. 
sitting on the sideline and just listening, watching, observing. I know Re recent times prior to the pandemic and uh, which is now I'll, I'll tell you about that um, la last week's podcast, my first episode, um, I was recovering from COVID, which is why my voice sounded a little odd at times. Um, now I think I'm fine. Didn't really affect me too much. Didn't get sick. Didn't get bedridden. Just had a sore throat. I mean, Right now, well, I'm going to go off on a tangent. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, I'll, I'll correlate something else to that. Maybe next week we, we could talk about Contagion, which was a good film. I could spend an, an hour talking about that one film. That was incredible. And that happened way before COVID. So kudos to everybody in Contagion. Even Matt Damon. It's just sad that she died early on in that movie. She, and I feel sorry that her uh, vagina candle exploded, but that's a different story. Um, so getting back to what we have here, you want to be controlled or you want to be the controller? I think that what I want to do is I'm going to be the, the controller. I'm going to, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you all here at the Institute. I want to lead you all. And I'm going to, I'm going to continue teaching you all, not just about pop culture, but maybe, maybe I'll teach you a little bit about life because ultimately these characters that I've, that we've been talking about here today, they transcend. They are not just made up out of thin air. They transcend. They're, they're about their personalities are human, just like yours, mine. They're human. They have needs. They have wants. They have uh, reasons for being. Do I have a reason for being? Absolutely. We all do. We all want to be. We want to be bigger than what we are. We want to have more than an next person. We want to talk down to the neighbor. We want to build up ourselves. We want to be it. So, if you want to be it, follow me. I'll show you everything. There's a lot to talk about. This institute's going to be bigger than what it currently is. We've got to make a whole new wing about centricism. Okay, so it looks like we're nearing the end here of our time. We've been here for nearly an hour. 
I've been talking about a lot of different things. Talking about life. Talking about comic books. Talking about people that had visions that wanted to create, like Dark Horse Comics. Where a guy saved his money after opening up a comic book store. And he became one of the most recognizable in the industry. He played with the big boys. And not many people can say that. I mean, right now, the big thing is Marvel. Everything's Marvel. Marvel Comics. The MCU. And right now, they got WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. Now, I started watching WandaVision. I watched every movie in the MCU as they were released in the theaters, in the order that they were released in the theaters. And uh, growing up reading these books and making the correlations in my mind, playing the video games growing up, knowing everything there is to know about any of these characters, I will tell you this, WandaVision is the most bizarre thing I've ever watched. I don't hate it. I want to know what happens next. I'm getting the... Now, you might laugh at this, but WandaVision gives me the same type of vibes as Heroes. Remember Heroes? Save the cheerleader, save the world. Where a lot of actors came from, had some wonderful careers after Heroes. So a lot of them are still making movies. They're all part of the Screen Actors Guild. It's quite remarkable. Uh, but anyhow, Heroes. Every episode, after it got done airing, I couldn't wait for the next episode to start. I wanted to see it. I wanted to know what happens next. I couldn't wait. I was really uh, out of my gourd, actually, because looking back on it, it was the most dumbest TV show there ever was. But at the time, it was phenomenal. It was it was a story that was never told before. There's characters that had some bizarre powers. Some of them were really cool. Some of them were really bad. But there was imagination involved in that show. And we don't have a lot of imagination anymore. Uh, at least not in that vein. I mean, I'm not saying that there's no imagination. Uh, and I could easily segue into talking about Walt Disney World with imagination, but I'm not going to do that. I'll save you from that, and you'll love me for it, because that's a whole other can of worms there. And because if I talk about Disney World, you better believe I'm going to be calling out a lot of those freaking vloggers that are out there. YouTube's crammed with them all. There's... There's 10 really good ones. There's five even better ones. But there's three that are the top tier. 
And, uh, yeah, maybe I'll tell you about those. Uh, maybe I'll do an entire, an entire visit here at the institution about, about vloggers. Maybe I'll just talk about vloggers for a day. What do you think? Call them all out. Tell you who's, who's good, who's bad. Who makes what kind of money, what their net worth is. Would you like to know what their net worth is? Once you know what how much these people are making, you might not want to be watching them anymore because it'll make you sick. But, you know, another time. So, anyhow. You know, we're here at the end. I will tell you, I... I was planning on doing a uh, a song for you. I was going to sort of pop, uh, sing you something very campy. I was going to sing something popular, something that you would recognize, something that you might even sing along with. But I'll save my singing voice for another time. I might do a do an episode all about music. There's a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about give you the whole history we could we could pick do anything you know if you want to connect with me at any time outside of the institute you can always track me down on twitter uh, you can find me the low g man you know and at my uh, you can find me at the obg yeah yeah i know the obg I always tell people, I'm just missing the Y and the N. But, you know, that was a bad joke. So I don't say that anymore. So you could find me if you want to talk. Uh, there's a lot of things out there. So the tour has ended. And uh, I think that, that exhibit that we're getting installed will be completed. And... I, th I think that's that's the one that we were talking about before. I think that one's going to be completed soon. So maybe we'll 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 visit that one in the near future. So uh, let me show you the door. You know, walk back down the hallway together. I got to get back up to that uh, front counter. Uh, I think I hear the radio still on up there anyhow. That's probably not the best thing to do when the doors are open. I didn't put the sign on the doors. Yeah. It's supposed to be a clean place. You don't have to wear the mask like I told you before. But, um, yeah, I don't want to get shut down. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get out of here. I'll, I'll lock the doors as you leave so uh, 